Yeah, it's absolutely true. You, you see that most easily with the big companies, you know, an Amazon or, or a Boeing, but a little company with Hawkeye with 143 people, nevertheless is going to, they were talking today about when they get their satellites assembled, they have to take them to a different company to vibrate the Dickens out of them to see whether they'll handle it, that they have to take it someplace else to, to check on the heat characteristics. That uh, And obviously, all the different components are coming from businesses, many of them local. From the Defense and Aerospace Report, this is The Downlink, a podcast about the intersection of space, the space business, and defense. Not just what's over the horizon, but what's happening above it. I'm your host, Laura Winter. Hello, podcasters. This week, I got out of the office and went on a field trip. I went to the grand opening of Hawkeye 360's new Advanced Technology and Development Center in Herndon, Virginia. Excellent. Well, thank you all for being here, and here's to Hawkeye 360. Hawkeye 360's satellite constellation detects radio frequencies, pinpoints the signal location, and produces data and analysis for the U.S. government's defense and intelligence agencies and to the private sector. The grand opening, while small, this isn't a new Apple store in Times Square, but it brought out the mayor and city council members, leaders representing different Northern Virginia business associations, and even a couple of U.S. congressmen. And this got me thinking about space, business, and localities. What are the dynamics at play for the local area, even for garnering support for America's endeavors in space, whether it be civil, defense, or commercial? This event, and it included a tour of the facility, seemed like a good place to start. All right, welcome everybody. My name is Zach Caldy. I'm the senior mechanical thermal engineer here for Hawkeye 360. Uh, this is probably the less glamorous side of the office space that you'll see today. This is definitely where a lot of the investment and work gets done. Um, so this is the warehouse. We have a great garage door entrance here so that we can ship in and ship out our satellites. Uh, for testing, we don't have quite the capabilities that we need here for doing the full satellite testing, um, like vibe and, and vacuum, thermal vacuum chamber testing. Um, so we have to ship our components out for that. Um, so this is a little ante room that we can prepare the hardware to go out. I said you're going to see a better view of the clean room when you guys continue on, so I won't get into that too much. Inside the 176 square meter facility, some 70 employees will process and analyze radio frequency data, develop the company's software, and prototype inside a satellite manufacturing lab. We don't have a thermal vacuum chamber here, but we do have a thermal chamber. Uh, this chamber is great for uh, testing out the uh, circuit boards that we've designed and making sure that they work at high and low temperatures. It helps simulate the space environment, less the vacuum, and it makes sure that we're not going to break anything in space. It's much cheaper to fix stuff down here than once it's up. The facility is an expansion of Hawkeye 360's footprint and a plus-up of staff from about 145 to roughly 200. The reason for the expansion? The company says it wants full control of the hardware and software development chain, and that should meet higher-level security requirements that its defense and intelligence customers are demanding. In May, Hawkeye 360 doubled its on-orbit signal-sensing assets to 15 satellites. Taken together, 
That's jobs and revenue for additive services, the city and the state. At the event, I caught up with Representative Don Beyer. He represents a nearby district. Congressman Beyer, thank you so much for giving me your time. Laura, thank you. It's an honor to be invited to be part of your Space Downlink podcast. So take a moment, because we've got so many congressmen, to tell us who you are and what district you represent and what your district is like. So I'm Don Beyer, and I'm an eight-year incumbent in the U.S. Congress. Um, I live in Alexandria, Virginia. So I am considered the most spoiled member of Congress, because you can actually see the Capitol from the end of my street. And um, in, in a perfect world, when there's no traffic, it takes 15 minutes to get to the Capitol. So I represent... Our Arlington, Alexandria Falls Church, part of Fairfax. So I have the Pentagon, I have um, the Arlington Memorial Cemetery, Mount Vernon, and interestingly, the headquarters of Nestle in the United States, of, of Amazon's HQ2, of Boeing, Raytheon, Northrop Grumman, General Dynamics, BAE. So the, the, the four largest defense contractors in the world all are headquartered in my district. It also is the most educated district in the country. And because it's across the river from the Capitol, it's the most politically sophisticated. So I have lots and lots of congressional staff members, Democrat and Republican, and lots of retired members of Congress and retired flag officers because they have the Pentagon. So it's a, it's a fascinating, wonderful district. So... Today, you came out here to Herndon to the opening of the Hawkeye 360 facility. You know, what does having facilities like this in and near your district mean to your community, to your constituents? I, I'm really excited about it. I, I mentioned that I have a very educated district, um, but it it's, can stay educated because there are very high-quality technical jobs here for, for people to go to work in. Um, and Hawkeye, you know, it's, it's got this really interesting niche where it's taken um, non-classified approach to understanding radio frequency sites around the world. So they need really sophisticated people. The things we saw this morning were, you know, spectrographs coming off of a, a, a radar facility someplace. Um, it takes a really well-educated person in, in science of all kinds of different kinds, physicists, chemists, biologists, um, and engineers. I met a thermal engineer for the first time this morning um, to, to be able to understand that. So it, it feeds the idea that coming to Northern Virginia is a great place to get a high-paying job with, with great um, career opportunities. Certainly, as we know just from cybersecurity alone, if you've got a good background in, in engineering, elect, electrical engineering, computer science, machine learning, AI, um, you're going to be in a great job for the rest of your life. Just thinking community, one of the things that Hawkeye has done, as many businesses have done here, is understand that it's not just about making money. It's not just about fulfilling the initial mission of the company, but they've done a lot to reach out to the community. We saw um, examples this morning of their cleanup efforts in a number of parks. They're delivering the equivalent of Meals on Wheels to um, people that need food in Herndon area this afternoon. And they've tried to empower all of their employees to step up and do individual um, nonprofit volunteer efforts in their communities. You know, it's this sort of the example of, um, as a corporation, not just being a, a contributing jobs and, and income, but also contributing to the overall social capital of the community. And the Hawk leadership of Hawkeye 360 gets that. 
speaking of contributing to overall capital, I mean, I'd also imagine having um, a company such as Hawkeye 360 or other space companies also brings other uh, businesses to the area as well and also generates jobs, no? Yeah, it's absolutely true. You, you see that most easily with the big companies, you know, an Amazon or, or a Boeing, but a little company with Hawkeye with 143 people, nevertheless is going to, they were talking today about when they get their satellites assembled, they have to take them to a different company to vibrate the Dickens out of them to see whether they'll handle it, that they have to take it someplace else to, to check on the heat characteristics. That uh, And obviously, all the different components are coming from businesses, many of them local. Uh, we heard today that propulsion mechanisms on their satellites are, are wa pressurized water, which is pretty cool. Um, so somebody else has got to make that pressurized water capsule and ship it into them. And the more it can grow, the more likely those uh, supporting industries will be local also. Hey, I've heard from other folks who work in the commercial space sector that they feel that the American people need to have a better understanding about space and the importance of space. But I'd also imagine that if you have a space company or space companies going to different localities, that that actually also helps um, educate the American people and particular local communities about what space means to them as well. I, I think it does. The more people that are engaged in the industry, you know, the more sophistication, and the more understanding. One of the things that we're trying to combat now is that space is just for trillionaires and, and an ego trip, you know, a, a Musk or a Bezos, uh, when it's so much greater than that. I mean, first of all, as we deal with climate change, we need to know the science um, on, on our planet. And most of that data is being gathered in space, you know, by NASA and, and, and by NOAA and by others. Um, so much of what our communications are right now, we, we'd be crippled um, in, in our computer base, our, our, the ability to use Google or our phones, um, our ability to conduct all kinds of business things without that satellite communication. And right now we have I think 4,500 satellites and low Earth orbit on the way to 100,000 by the end of this decade. We know that both Microsoft and uh, Starlink, which is Musk, um, are doing yeoman work to try to bring high-speed Internet connectivity to every part of this planet. Um, not just the big cities, but rural America, sub-Saharan Africa, all through Latin America. These are really uh, important things. Um, and so I, I do think that the more we can have space-based businesses in our communities, the more people are going to be aware of how important space is to all of our lifestyle, not just the, not just the billionaires. Congressman, thank you so much for your time. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you. Ms. Winter, thank you very much. Good luck with all of your journalism. What may be a velvet purse for some is actually a pig's ear for others. Diving into this a little deeper, I found not all commercial space endeavors are an easy fit for all communities. In Upper Peninsula, Michigan, there's a plan for a vertical launch spaceport in Powell Township. It's got 160 square miles and a population of 734, according to the 2020 census. Locals call the area Big Bay, and that's because it has 45 miles of Lake Superior shoreline. The proximity to the lake makes the proposed site ideal for safety. If a flying rocket experiences a serious anomaly and it needs to be destroyed, 
the debris would fall into the lake and not over residential areas. The township's slogan is, Where the road ends, your adventure begins. But the lawn signs say, Protect Lake Superior, stop the rocket. Because this is such a heated issue, and I don't have the time in this episode to interview all concerned parties, I reached out to Christy Maastricht, a local newspaper reporter covering the controversy. Christy gave me the state of play. Hi, Christy. Thank you for making the time to speak with me today. Thank you. Christy, why don't you take a moment and introduce the Mining Journal and explain what you do at the publication? Well, I'm Christy Maastricht, and I'm a staff writer with the Mining Journal. It's not the Marquette Mining Journal, it's the Mining Journal, but we're based in Marquette, Michigan, which is in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. I reached out to you because of Powell Township. It's at the crossroads. It's it's in the process of determining whether or not it wants a spaceport. Sure, there's economic opportunity offered by a quickly growing space industry, but does that actually outweigh other important local concerns? The spaceport proposal has polarized the township and the surrounding area. So first, Christy, could you describe Powell Township? I've read that it has just over 800 residents and lots of land on Lake Superior. Well, Big Bay, if you want to call it as the sort of the metropolis of the area, is a village, but that's what that basically is Powell Township, but Powell Township surrounds that area and it goes a little bit south along there and it does run along uh, Lake Superior, basically County Road 550. And the spaceport would be located on private property called Granite Loma off that 550. And what is the township like? I mean, is it, it does it have lots of trees? Does it have flat land? I, what does it look like there for, for those of us that have never been to the Upper Peninsula? Well, it is pretty rugged, but it's very wooded, very, very wooded. And it's very rugged along the coast, but it's obviously a very rural area. But when I say rural, I don't mean farms. I mean forest and lots of it. I've also read that the Michigan Aerospace Manufacturers Association proposed the spaceport, I think it was in 2019, as part of a statewide initiative to get space business into mm-hmm. Michigan, and that the uh, Manufacturers Association intends on purchasing or leasing roughly 2,900 acres of that private land to establish the commercial space facility. Now, the mm-hmm. spaceport project is controversial locally. Tell us, what's the state of play, and at what point in the development of this project is the township? They are still looking at it. From The last time I was at a township meeting, which is, I think it was about a couple months ago, um, they had not heard from MAMA, which is the association that's in charge of this. In fact, the manager, township manager, said she hadn't talked with somebody at that association, the CEO specifically, for more than a year. So they're being rather coy about it. So I did reach out to MAMA or MAMA, I'm not sure how I want to pronounce it, but um, they issued a statement about a month and a half ago saying they're years away from starting the permitting process. For at Granite Loma, but they say they remain remain committed to engaging with all the local communities when we have operations to listen to their concerns and to answer their questions. But they said they're still several years away from definitive plans that will quote allow us to connect meaningfully with residents. So it sounds to me like they'll come to them when they have something to say. So it might be on hold for a long time yet. And what has been the pushback from the local community? 
I mean, there have been, I've, I've read that there have been like lawn signs pointing people yeah. to websites. I mean, what, what's, what's the, what's the angst? What's the grist? Well, some people are for it. When it first came out, they seemed to be for it. But I think when this, people thought it was going to be at the former Kei Sawyer Air Force Base, which has been decommissioned for years now. And then it turns out it was on Granite Loma. And that upset a lot of people because even though it's private, it's very pristine. It's on like Superior. So there's been a lot of pushback on it. The lawn signs are almost against the project. It's all you ever see. You don't really see too many people for it. So I'm not sure what the official percentage would be for against it, but I would say most people in that area are against this. So worried about noise concerns, popular, um, having to move a population to evacuate if there's going to be a launch, other concerns. So the groundswell is, I think, pretty much starting to be against this more than for it. Wasn't there also, or or isn't there, I mean, I suppose I should use the present tense still, I mean, isn't there a possibility for a, a big payoff for the community that if the space industry were to come to the township, that it would bring, you know, space jobs? That's another thing. There, it's At first, they thought there were going to be lots of jobs, but it turns out there aren't going to be that many. So that that, that economic thing isn't really a, a plus to a lot of people anymore. So what do you think is going to happen then? I think nothing will happen for a, a while. Mama seems to be dragging its feet. I don't know why. Maybe they just want to get all their ducks in a row. Uh, so in the meantime, on this group, this Citizens for a Clean and Safe Lake Superior, they're pretty much taking the lead here on being against the project. I think they'll continue to look for it. There's also a volunteer Powell Township Spaceport Research Group, which it's just all volunteer and they're basically just research it. So, but the other group seems to be taking a stance against it. So I think it's just going to be a lot more education for the next couple of years. And it's going to be up to Powell Township and, and they had received letters to the township against the project. I don't think they heard, saw anything or heard anything for it. So if I were had to guess, I would say they would not okay this, at least not right now. It would have to amend, I think it requires amending zoning ordinance to hold in public hearings. So that's, if it does get down to that, you're going to you're gonna have to have more public hearings before this happens. Christy, thank you so much for making the time and coming on the downlink. Thank you. Powell Township is not alone in wanting to protect its environment. Vermont, the Green Mountain State, is famous for its environmentalism. The state is also the home of benchmark space systems. It manufactures satellite thrusters that are used once the satellite is in space. For this kind of on-orbit propulsion, hydrazine has been the propellant of choice for decades. It has a high combustion stability rating. It's also dense, energy efficient, and it doesn't weigh a lot. And it's infamous for being horrifically toxic. Benchmark is taking on hydrazine supremacy with its thrusters, which use non-toxic peroxide-based fuels, and the thrusters are in use on a number of orbiting Defense Department satellites. I spoke with Benchmark CEO Ryan McDevitt about launching his business in Burlington. Here's our conversation. Hi, Ryan. I've been following your company's progress for a while. It's so great to have you on the downlink. Thanks so much for having me on, Laura. So Ryan, most folks who work in and lead space propulsion companies, 
they're usually found in places like Los Angeles County or near Cape Canaveral or Rocket City. That's Huntsville, Alabama. You know, you'd be hard pressed to associate spacecraft thrusters with Burlington, Vermont. Gosh, do I even mention maple syrup? So please take a moment and introduce yourself and your company, Benchmark Space Systems. Sure. So uh, Ryan McDevitt from uh, Benchmark Space Systems. I'm the CEO and co-founder. And one of the things that I would say uh, in response is the most exciting part of the new space revolution, the small satellite revolution, is that it can be done anywhere. It doesn't require uh, thousands of employees. It doesn't require heavy, expensive machinery. Um, And so good ideas are allowed to flourish wherever they are found. And Burlington, Vermont just happened to be a place that uh, some good ideas, some mine, some my colleagues got started. And so tell me, what is it, though, that your company does? I mean, you make a very particular kind of propulsion system. I mean, you're kind of disrupting the market, aren't you? Yeah, we're getting into a a new way to help people move around in space. And so that's really what it comes down to. And when we talk about this, we talk internally, when we talk with our customers, we talk about being an in-space mobility uh, partner. We want to help people get their satellites from point A to point B. And there are lots of different ways to do that. Um, And specifically, when we talk about these smaller satellites, there weren't a lot of great options on the market when uh, we were first getting into this back in 2017 timeframe. And so we really looked at what were the most important things to our customers around uh, flexibility of the design, lead time, being able to get it into their hands quickly, price pressure. These small satellites aren't as expensive, so the thrusters can't be as expensive. And that meant what materials we were choosing, which chemistry we were choosing. And so we really have put a lot of focus on making products that are specifically aimed at this uh, segment of the market and helping small to medium spacecraft, 50 to 500 kilograms being a real sweet spot for us, move around in space. And from our first launch last year, getting some heritage on those thrusters into the contracts, the you know over a dozen contracts that we have today um, to help companies all around the world, we've seen kind of good development, good momentum of those propulsion systems. And, you know, when I've looked through the press releases and your website and the stories, you know, sustainability is a real theme for your company and you don't use hydrazine. That's right. Yeah. So, so uh, maybe this is one of the places that you can point to our Vermont background as a, as a green state, right? The green mountain state, but also uh, have been at the forefront of the green movement at, on earth. And um, we really take that ethos and think about how can we keep space sustainable? Um, how can we keep this space ecosystem sustainable? And one of the ways to do that is to get away from uh, carcinogens, uh, highly toxic chemicals, t- chemicals that are hard to work with, expensive to work with, scary to work with, and use things that are much less uh, scary, much less harmful to people and the environment. Um, so that was from day one, that was our priority. That's what we were thinking about. And we've been able to infuse that through everything we do. So aren't you originally from Vermont? And I mean, you left Vermont for school and then signed on with Pratt and Whitney. What took you back to the Green Mountain State? Yeah, uh, 
like like so many stories, uh, love is what brought me back. So um, my wife and I had originally met in high school. Um, we moved away, went to school, rekindled our relationship, uh, got engaged, and she wanted to move back to Vermont to take over her parents' uh, family business, as well as uh, have a good place to raise our family. And uh, I agreed to come back with her, said that I would help her run the business for five years, and then I would figure out how to get back into engineering. And so uh, five years plus the the months to get back into school, that's exactly what I did. So I helped her run that business for a bit and then went back and and did my PhD at UVM in micropropulsion. And you've been involved with micropropulsion systems since like forever. I mean, since you were at Pratt and Whitney, you were involved with micropropulsion, but developing on orbit propulsion, you know, thrusters, you and your colleagues developed that and your business in Burlington. And in fact, it's been very much a Vermont affair from education to location, and most importantly, cold cash, investment capital. What's been the journey? Yeah, you know, I like to be careful about um, calling a company at my stage a success story. There's a long way for us to go. Um, but to the degree that we have been successful to date, that we have, you know, locations in multiple states and, you know, over 80 employees and, you know, over a dozen contracts, like to the degree that we have gotten there, I do like to reflect on the journey that got us here and how Vermont was so integral to it. Um so I'll, I'll do the, the quick version. And if there's anything interesting, we can dive into it. Um, I, as a student at University of Vermont, as I was graduating, they run a program called Spark VT, which is modeled off other entrepreneurial uh, education efforts at other universities. Spark VT helped do two things. They gave us a small cash infusion to do some prototype and proof of concept work. And maybe more importantly, they introduced me to the first parts of the Vermont entrepreneurial ecosystem, the Vermont Center for Emerging Technologies or VSET. And I can remember through that program walking into VSET and I gave my pitch uh, in quotes, very strongly in quotes, to David Bradbury, who runs VSET to this day. And we paused and he looked at me. He said, that was one of the worst pitches I've ever heard. You talk like a professor. Uh, you are never going to get a dollar if you don't get this squared away. And he's kind. He's a kind person. But he, that was a little bit of tough love of like, you're going to need to do some work here. And so working with VSET, we refined that pitch we got better and then he when he felt like I was ready he introduced me to some of the Vermont investors VCs so Fresh Tracks is one of the Vermont based VCs um, that has been here for decades they've done all sorts of stuff um, the fund at Hula is another one that we were introduced to and pitched them and did the story uh, got our first seed capital back in 2018 used that to grow the company and then um, we just took on a new round of investment through a growth fund here called JH Capital. That is a Vermont and Northeast investment arm kind of focused company. Um, so, you know, at each step along the way, we had to grow, we had to learn, we had to network and it took time. We had, I didn't start with the, I didn't know these people. I didn't come from that background. I was, you know, from academia and other things and, and had to kind of work into it. Um, but all along the way, people within the state of Vermont, this this engine was pushing us along to get to where we're at. And who are your customers? I know your propulsion systems are on at least two unspecified DOD satellites. 
And you said that you have um, more contracts. Who are they yeah. with? What are you doing? Yeah. So the the uh, the tough part for our marketing team is that a lot of our customers are uh, pretty quiet about what they do. Some of that's because of Department of Defense stuff. Some of it is for competitive reasons. But I'll give you the types of customers specifically that we are on funded missions. So um, we support both um, direct government missions. Um, so we're working with companies that are working with uh, the Air Force, the Space Development Agency, and the Space Force. So we're, we're selling products into customers working with them. We also sell directly to commercial companies, so companies that are building their own satellites or their own constellation of satellites for various applications, telecommunications and earth Im imaging applications. Most of our business is currently in the U.S., although we did announce earlier this year a contract with a company called SpaceForge out of the U.K. That's one of the ones we can talk about um, where they're doing in-space manufacturing and um, we're able to support that. And then our other product line, we work with um, a company called Spaceflight. And we do the propulsion system for their orbital transfer vehicles, their Sherpa line of OTVs. And Vermont is also known for having a pretty healthy respect for its environment. And environmental regulations was just fought over in Montpellier. I mean, the bill was meant to revamp 50-year-old regulations, but the governor vetoed it. You know, has your company faced regulatory red tape? I mean, I get that you're not using hydrazine. So, and for all those who, who don't know what that is, it's, it is highly carcinogenic, highly flammable. It's extremely dangerous. And yes, scary is a very good way to describe it. But still, you are building spacecraft thrusters. I mean, how did you yeah. get through that? I mean, it's, regulation? You know, yeah, it's, you know, th uh, three things that I would say go into it. So one of which is, and we've talked about it, that non-toxic propellants. So that puts us al already in a slightly easier place to work with. Um, the second is the small satellite or micro propulsion part of what we do means that we don't need um, large quantities of the propellants that we're using to test. Um, so we are able to work within the regulatory framework to have the propellants that we need on hand to support. And then the third thing, and um, many of your listeners would probably feel the same way, is that we have a safety first culture that focuses on um, keeping our personnel safe, keeping our facility safe, and keeping the environment around us safe, the other people that work near us. And so uh, when the times that we have needed to be audited or reviewed, people that come through are able to identify, okay, they understand they're treating this, even though it's non-toxic, even though it's not as dangerous, uh, we still need to treat it with a healthy respect, not fear, but respect. And they're able to see that we have that. So that kind of those three things together mean that we've not run into major um, obstacles. And in fact, I have felt at all steps along the way that the, the state of Vermont, both the, you know, the people within it, but then the regulatory apparatus associated with it is encouraging our success and helping us identify ways to work within the framework in a way that is beneficial for the company and for the state. Has Benchmark's presence in Vermont connected Vermonters to space? Now, I'm asking that because some in the commercial space community have wondered aloud at some of the recent conferences that I've attended. You know, they kind of wonder, you know, do local populations actually understand the value that space brings to their everyday lives and, and therefore, you know, having a business you know, within arm's reach, I mean, in Burlington, Vermont, no less. 
are people getting to understand space a bit better? I think it's mixed. And I think that'd be true anywhere, which is, um, you know, one of the things that's challenging about space is it can feel frivolous at times, right? And and so you see this sometimes with blowback on uh, the the human kind of space race and among billionaires, right? Like that whole blowback, and it's kind of understandable, right? There are real challenges here on Earth. But you highlighted, and I, you know, I'm sure your listeners know how important space is to helping to solve the challenges that we have here on Earth. Uh, things like using satellites to monitor for greenhouse gases and understand where those emitters are. Um, the ways that we can use space to do telecommunications. So we all know, your listeners know um, how important space actually is. And so it, we take it as our responsibility to get out and share that message with our local community. And I, we have felt very supported. Um, we are you know, very interested in um, making sure that that information gets out there. And then more specifically, we are able to get involved in the community. So many of our engineers mentor students uh, at, at all levels. And um, we do you know, stuff for um, younger groups like middle school, high school, up through college, um, internships, co-ops, senior design projects. And so uh, as those students you know, graduate and move on to other things, that message is building over time. Um, so maybe today, if you took a poll, not everyone feels as connected, but the longer that we're here, the more success that we can have, the more that we'll see that because everyone who we who knows about us um, is excited to have us here. We've, we've never felt anything but um, support from the art community. Is Benchmark the lone space company or are there others in Vermont? I think there, there are definitely other companies that do space as part of what they do. Um, so we wouldn't presume to be the only space company in Vermont. Uh, we are the largest a company that is solely focused on space hardware in Vermont at this time. So, um, and, and we're growing. So we'll hopefully hold that record for, you know, a little bit longer. Um, but no, you know, the, but more broadly, aerospace, um, it, Vermont is actually putting together a pretty nice um, a, a hub of talent and shared capabilities. Um, so uh, electric uh, vertical takeoff and landing vehicles, eVTOL, there's beta technologies, um, companies that are working on hardware that supports both aerospace and space, like liquid measurement systems um, and Collins Aerospace. So, so it's not like there's a dearth of talent or capability here, but we're the ones that are most the, that are primarily focused on space. And how many people are presently employed in your company? Yeah, so we're a little over 80 people total. Um, the majority of which are located here in Vermont, but we also have a facility in Pleasanton, California, um, where we do our technology development and product development. We have a facility over in the UK, um, I mentioned to support our contract with SpaceForge and our other European endeavors. Uh, and then we are, um, a, we also have a remote workforce, right? We're in this kind of uh, new working environment. So we operate out of 13 states plus Canada. Wow. That must be quite a thing to organize, but I think we're all getting used to it, right? That's right. We're all getting used to it. So what is the state and, and what are the municipalities in Vermont doing there to facilitate the commercial space sector? I would say that what they're doing is to help encourage an entrepreneurial environment that 
supports us bringing in people from out of state. Um, they have helped us with recruiting. They've helped us with um, sponsoring for international uh, travel, visas, th those types of things. Um, they are making sure that the uh, infrastructure is being built up to support those things. Um, and beyond that, me, you know, the most helpful thing that they're doing is, is letting us do our work without getting too involved. So the facility that we're in was built in during, you know, COVID and, and there were challenges associated with that, but it's now here and they're helping us to, to grow the company within those constraints. Um, but yeah, the big thing that to me is that the continued push, and, and there was just a recent announcement, um, State of Vermont just did a new entrepreneurial fund, uh, like $58 million that they're going to be putting into companies. And for us, I mean, that money won't come to benchmark and, and that's good. We've, we've got our stuff. But what I'd love to see is, you know, what other companies that we need to rely on will come out of that. So that's what we're excited about is the amount of energy and enthusiasm that's going into building up uh, the, the community around us and how that can help Benchmark be better at what we do. Ryan, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. That's it for this week. If you like what you're hearing, follow the downlink on Twitter and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. For the latest defense news and analysis, listen to the Daily Defense and Aerospace Report podcast hosted by Vago Maradian and listen to Kavis Ships to hear the latest on what's happening in the maritime domain. I'm Laura Winter, and thank you for listening.